You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you, Liz Loudon. It's, hearing the name Gregster is one of my favorite nicknames, and it takes me back to college. So that was a perfect flashback this morning. We do welcome you that are here with our admissions office, as Liz said today. It's so grateful to see you on the back wall and have you uh, join in our worship here in Hughes. Uh, You're going to have a terrific time at Asbury, and more than anything, we pray uh, that God floods you with guidance and and direction and the decisions that you're making in the months ahead. So thank you for being with us. Our scripture this morning— is James chapter 4. And if you have a Bible app or want to grab your Bible, uh, we're in verses 13 through 17 in James chapter 4, almost at the very back of your Bible after Hebrews. This is starting in verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Let's pray together. Father, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but it is the word of our God that stands forever. Lord, this morning, may we be shaped uh, in beautiful and good ways by your word. Lord, may it go deep in us and direct and order and bless our lives. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. So to not disappoint uh, Liz, since she has set us up, I, I ran and dug out Hasloff picture. So this is a pandemic picture. We're celebrating Father's Day last June, and I think Lexington had just opened up restaurants it was probably, uh, I don't know if it was 25% capacity. So we're doing uh, Texas Roadhouse for lots of good reasons. That's a Hasloff favorite. And Uncle Stewart is with us. And so that is uh, my oldest daughter, Ellie, who is a junior at West Jessamine, and Molly, who is an eighth grader at West Jessamine, and Isaac sporting the hat, who is a fourth grader at Wilmore Elementary having a great Father's Day celebration. And then here's one more, uh, just to flash up. Jen and I celebrating our 18th anniversary. That was July, some other fun Lexington hangout. The question is, why wasn't I wearing the mask and Jen not wearing the mask? Yes, that would have helped that picture a great deal. So there, there's my wife and I, and sticking to the Hasloff pictures. So James chapter 4, your life is a mist. 
Don't brag about tomorrow. Live totally surrendered to God's will. How do you know if you are controlling and creating your own future? Or if you are totally trusting your future in the hands of the God who loves you? Nine months after college graduation, I was sitting in class for the first week of law school. 23 years old, I finished my undergraduate in four and a half years, so give it up for anyone that enjoys a victory lap, putting an extra semester in. I had loved a little bit of everything, so I finished with 160 hours of credit. I was a college ministry intern for a semester after graduating in December. And I was accepted into law school where uh, I finished my undergraduate at Texas Tech University. So uh, yes, I hope there's some cheering for the Red Raiders. Yes, today's the day. Go, Hope. Come on, Wyatt. You're cheering for the Red Raiders. And uh, our Kentucky friends, you need to cheer for someone. So I need you to, need you to know that Dr. Brown's cheering for the Red Raiders, and, and you need someone to cheer for. So. In the summer prior to law school, I spent two weeks in Haiti with 15 other college students, and my heart kept being broken uh, in situations where there was poverty. And my, my heart was captured by people who were following Jesus with joy and had so much less than I did. It was my third mission team in 14 months, and the priorities that I had for the first 21 years of my life, uh, they were being flipped upside down by what Jesus was doing in the end of my college years. And I'd also spent that summer uh, with friends who were in youth ministry, doing some fun things like lock-ins, other crazy youth stuff where we pour ourselves into middle school and high schoolers, things that we almost have forgotten what they're like over the last year. And I spent the last four weeks prior to the first day of law school wrestling and saying, is this God's will for me? Or is he calling me to be a youth pastor? How do you figure those things out? I didn't have the same call as William Wilberforce, who was called to fight for a legal end to slavery at the end of the 18th century and into the 19th century. So two weeks after walking out of that study session, on the fourth day of law school, when I felt compelled that that was not the place I was supposed to be, I began serving as a youth pastor. Two friends from our Haiti mission team, they prayed me through that decision. And they listened across what felt like a really intense time of calling my mom and saying, Mom, um, I'm stepping out of law school. <laughs> and I'm going to be a youth pastor. 
It was at least two years into youth ministry before I embraced the possibility that God was calling me to be a pastor for the rest of my life, calling me to seminary. Nine months after graduation, when I walked out of law school, I don't really think I was wrestling with James' declaration that your life is a mist. You are but a vapor. There was something else going on in me. I was desperate to know the purposes that God had created, created me for. I was desperate to know what he was calling me to. I was looking to say the next yes. I was looking to walk through the next door that he was calling me through. Nine months after graduation, I was nowhere close to meeting my wife. I was nowhere close to even imagining the three kids that live under my roof that I wouldn't trade for anything. I was nowhere close to that. How do you know if you're boasting about tomorrow or if you are taking control or if you are totally trusting your future in the palm of the hand of a good and beautiful God? If you've been involved in Gather this semester, then uh, you know that we're reading through this book of James. And you may have already been reflecting on some of these questions that he is pushing in us. What we don't like about James, he's so direct. He's so convicting. He's so hardcore. He doesn't leave us unbothered. What I love about James, he's so practical. He's left-brained. He's organized in his thoughts so much more than I am. He is analytical. He's concrete. And he's a brass tacks kind of follower of Jesus. James says, if you have faith, then live it. If you have faith, then live it. And so here in this illustration from James, in the context of the last 12 months that we've all been living in, is not necessarily a newsflash. This is not a light bulb moment when he says, your life is a mist, a vapor that will vanish. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Well, uh, James, we get that. <laughs> we, we just experienced that. You're not in control of your life. And we know what that is like. In a more profound way, as a, a corporate community, as a country, as a world, we know that more as a result of the last year than dozens of years prior. Last March was the beginning of a crash course. St. Patrick's Day one year ago, if you were registered as a student, that was the day that the email went out that said, not only 
are you going to have a two-week spring break? We're not coming back for the spring semester. And after this one-year intensive class of you're not in control, not a three-hour block class on a Thursday night, but a full year of you're not in control of your life. After this one-year intensive experience, if what James is preaching has unfolded in you, how are you shaped differently than you were a year ago? Than before last March arrived. And if you're a person that wastes no experiences, if you're the kind of person that embraces Socrates, who says the unexamined life is a life not worth living, if you waste no experiences, then the raw question might be, has the past 12 months wrecked you or has it reformed you? And so there's a bigger question than when is this pandemic over? And James might ask the question, after finding yourself not in control of your life, are you closer to Jesus after all that? And so how do you learn the difference between boasting about tomorrow and planning your future under the lordship of Jesus? So verse 14 begins this passage for us with this presumptuous attitude of a, of a scheming business person. And in the Greek of these next few words, uh, there are these successive verbs that are set in the, in the future tense. And they could read like this. We will go into this city determining on our own where to live. We will spend a year there declaring how long is profitable for us to be there. We will trade making business the clear purpose. And we will make a profit prioritizing money as the as the primary goal of where you live and move and have your being. So planning for the future, Asbury, is not a sin. It's this presumptuous way of living that builds a barrier between us and God. It's a posture that presumes we have control of our future and we own our future. And that God will bless the plans that we've orchestrated on our own. It sounds like James could be taking on the idea that planning is something against the will of God. That is not what he's doing. I love the words of J.D. Walt. He wrote a little book on James uh, that comes through Seedbed. Uh, publishers across the street at the seminary. And J.D. says, 
James has taken on the mentality of, I am in charge. I can do what I want, when I want, however I want, and for however long I want, with whomever I want. And this is the crux of the five verses at the end of chapter four. Dr. Kevin, Kevin Brown points us to the philosophy in the poem Invictus by William Ernest Henley. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. We're not in control. We're a vapor. The Greek word is atmis, A-T-M-I-S. You can hear uh, that being the root word for atmosphere, that we are air. In these five short verses in James, our options are arrogance or humility. And James brings us back to this core, not, this core dynamic that's in a disciple of Jesus, of humility. A clear distinction that rises out of James is the difference between these two. Is your planning of the future, is it laced with humility? If Jesus owns your life, then declaring those words over your future, if it is the Lord's will, that's not just a Christian cliche. It's an expression of your desire because that's how we're made up. We're, we're desiring creatures. St. Augustine says the entire life of a good Christian is an exercise of holy desire. You do not yet see what you long for, but the very act of desiring prepares you so that when he comes, you may see and be utterly satisfied. The desires that are within us, they're often clothed in either arrogance or humility. Arrogance is determining where to live, what to do, and living with money as the chief end. And humility is embracing a future that is drenched in the Lord's will, that is drenched in what he's made you for and who he's called you to be. So I want to close thinking about three pandemic takeaways that we can hold on to. On Wednesday in chapel, Maria Brown spoke about the margins of our lives, the quiet places. And most of us may have experienced more quiet places over the last 12 months than we like. But Maria said this about the margins of our lives. 
If he is not the God of our ordinary, then he's not our God. Boasting and pride are not always loud, boisterous, and obnoxious. By James' standards, boasting is living in the everyday as if God is inconsequential. And so what's the opposite of boasting? What pulls us and calls us a different direction? How do we step away from that kind of life where God is inconsequential? We ask him to be God of the ordinary, of the everyday. Second pandemic takeaway. We're prone to spend too much time worrying about plans that never happen. Can you relate? (laughs) If that's what the last year plus has been for us. Plans that are totally out of our control. You faced huge plans. Maybe some of the biggest plans that you've ever prepared for and invested in that were simply out of our control. Other plans that became radically different. Internships, graduations, summer jobs, trips with family, trips with friends. So much that didn't happen. And in a a pandemic year, there were other life things that kept on going in a pandemic year. Justin Spoon uh, knows in a very profound way how life can instantly be changed. The surrender class in August lost a classmate. There are these relationships and these things in front of us that can be radically and quickly altered. Bringing the things that often worry us under James 4 or under the words of Matthew 6. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. when you relinquish control, when we let go of worry, gratitude increases. Do you have a gratitude list for the last 12 months? Our our grief is where we remember what we lost. Our gratitude is seeing what was added 
Don't walk out of this season of life without a gratitude list. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. What's the final pandemic takeaway from experiencing that we are not in control of our lives? When humility gives us this proper estimation of ourselves that we're only a vapor, only a fog, we become free to obey Jesus, untethered, unhindered. It's that closing verse. If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. This verse convicts every one of us. And this verse calls out uh, what we've named as the sins of omission. They are the good things of God which we ignore, which we have left undone. What if we hear the words of verse 17 from a couple of other angles along with that? If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is death for them. And then, if not doing what you ought to do is death for you, then doing what you ought to do is life for you. Doing what you ought to do doesn't save you, Doing what we were made for is the fruit of our salvation. It's the overflow of Jesus coming to redeem and rescue our lives and make us right with the Father. Has the pandemic humbled us? Has it given us a proper estimation of ourselves? We are desiring creatures. I'll close with words from 1 John. In chapter 2, verse 17. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Let's pray together. Father, we desire the fullness of your grace, the fullness of your truth. Lord, we desire to see you, to follow you. Lord, help us let go where we are so often tempted to hold on to our lives. And Father, today, may we see our lives evermore as you see them and as you desire us to be reflections of your image, living in your redemption. Holy Spirit, come and do this work in